that's my favorite bridge of all time, so I'm um, glad we got to sing that this morning. If you would, grab your Bibles and remain standing. I'm going to be reading this morning from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Paul writes, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And you may be seated. I'd like to invite Susan Clark to come up. And uh, is, uh, Susan is here again. Um, Susan and Michelle Haas, and Michelle's not able to be here this morning, but uh, Susan and Michelle are headed to South Africa tomorrow, and they are going to be going to the baby home that is um, a part of Living Hope Church there in South Africa, and Susan, I know you have uh, been there lots before and know people there well, and uh, a lot of people in our church have, uh, have been there, and they are celebrating their 10th anniversary and uh, it was, I was just thinking this morning, 10th anniversary, what that means is there are babies that have been part of that home that are now 10 years old and been, uh, been brought up and uh, know the gospel because of the ministry of Living, Living Hope Church and that baby home. So we just want to pray for Susan and for Michelle and um, for the church and for that baby home and, and uh, commit them to the Lord this morning. So if you would pray with me, Lord, we come to you this morning and acknowledge that you are the king of the universe, you are sovereign over all, that your reign extends to the smallest molecules, to the largest planets and stars. God, you reign over all, and to think that you wove us together in our mother's wombs, God, that you predetermined before time began to call those who would belong to you to yourself. And so, God, we come to you as your children and see you as our Lord and our King and also as our Heavenly Father who loves us and has called a people who were rebellious and running from you and you have changed hearts and given us eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so we thank you for that, God. We, we pray this morning that you would use this time to open eyes that don't know you, that don't know the treasure that Jesus is, that they would see Jesus this morning and for those of us who do, God, that you would elevate him in our hearts and our minds, that we would sing and pray and listen and encourage with everything in us because Jesus is our reward. He is the greatest treasure, and so let us know that even more firmly and in a greater way today. Let us know that it is from him and through him and to him are all things, that all things including each one of us, have been made for him, and we've been made to make much of him, to praise and worship the glory of his grace for forever. And so we want to do that even today. God, thank you for 
the Living Hope Church in South Africa. Thank you for the baby home and the ministry that is there. God, thank you for the, the numerous babies that have, been, that have been preserved and rescued and, and cared for. God, that, uh, that you have used the ministry there to, to hold on to lives that were created in the very image of God. God, that you have used that home to bring the gospel to even these little ones who have grown up and to know the reality of the saving truth of what Jesus did at the cross. And so, God, we praise you for 10 years of how you have worked through that ministry. Thank you for Susan and for Michelle the, and the, the privilege they have to, uh, to go tomorrow. God, I pray that you would give them safe travel. God, allow them to be lights for you, that they would make much of you, that their joy in Jesus would be contagious. God, that they would be an encouragement to those that they would come to in the church and in the baby home. God, that they would um, just highlight the celebration of what you have done over these past 10 years. So use them. God, let, uh, let your word go forth from that church and in that baby home and, and allow Michelle and, and Susan to play some role in making that uh, even more clear and, and uh, for the people to be encouraged in the work that they're doing. And so we commit them to you. We commit this service to you and pray that Jesus would be honored and glorified. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
God, we ask and we pray this morning that you would hear this prayer sung to you from our hearts. God, would you show us Christ this morning as we look at your word. God, as we sing to you, as we fellowship with one another, God, would you show us Christ. Help us to see him more clearly, that we would see his beauty, and that we would want nothing more than to know you, to love you, to be made like you. Conform us to the image of your Son. We ask and we pray by the blood and in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I look forward to gathering together to worship the Lord on the Lord's Day and open up the Word together, celebrate Christ's preeminence, and trust the Spirit of God to use the Word of Truth to transform us. And today we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verse 15, which tells us to stand firm and hold on to the Word of God. The idea is really that it's easy to drift 
And to avoid drifting from the truth, you must keep Christ central and keep the word as your compass. Uh, you must stand firm and hold on to the word. The writer of Hebrews put it this way, for this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Mission drift is a thing. A mission drift in an organization that makes up its own values is one thing, but mission drift in the church with the eternal word of God is, is the worst thing to do. And we know it's true, deceived people are trying to change the unchanging word. If you were in the military, a soldier must keep direction set by the compass. If you stray ever so slightly from that, you can totally miss your objective. It's dangerous to drift when you let go of truth that you must hold dear. There are some of you today who may be tempted to drift from biblical truth. It's our only compass, and drifting is dangerous, and we live in a hard world uh, with sharp edges. It's a, a tough world to live in, and often we, we have this temptation to not, not stand firm and not hold on, but uh, to slip and slide and to let go. There are times... When we, as believers, come to the place where we're like, I'm, I'm exhausted. Some of you that did vacation Bible school last week are exhausted, and you took your vitamins and got some sleep, but still you're like, wow, I feel wiped out. But there are times when you get to the point where you're like, I, 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 need, I need comfort, I need assurance, I need encouragement to bolster me, to renew my mind, to renew my strength so that I would be stable, so that I would be steadfast in, in the faith as I engage the world. And when that happens, it's sometimes rare. It's, it's often rare, but it's like a cool breeze just comes in. And, and this is what we, we get from these verses that we are in right now. And, so comfort and encouragement is back on the menu today, just in time, I think, for what's on our hearts and minds in this crazy world that we live in that demands for us to call evil good and good evil. We must stand firm and hold on to the word of God. So this comfort, this encouragement couldn't come at a better time. It's exactly what we get in really in verses 13 to 17, which we read this morning, but couldn't come at a better time, especially for the people who originally got it. Context was that they had been told of a fierce, final, eternal wrath coming upon unbelievers. And now what Paul does, the Holy Spirit has Paul say now, that's not for you, believers. You have the best possible outcome. Let me explain it. And he's explaining this best possible outcome for Believers, And so what happens is he goes from warning of Satan's activity and, and, and what's going to happen with the man of lawlessness to praising God's saving works. 
his saving activity. And it's, it's like going from history and its chaos to eternity and its security, what God will bring about. And we really got to relish that last week in verses 13 and 14, where we saw that God gives eternal comfort and good hope by grace to give us strength to serve him. And, to, and, 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 and what, what Paul is saying now is, look, in light of, in light of present and, and, and coming danger and persecution and tribulation even, He's not saying, and I love this, he's not saying, okay, you need to panic and head for the hills. He's not saying that. He's saying, look at what God has done for every believer. And, and what I love is there's just this calm thankfulness. There's this, there's this confident assurance, and it's, it's based on beautiful gospel realities. We saw them last week, but the idea of just praise God for his sovereign good pleasure and bringing about his his goodwill uh, praise god for his providence that believers are beloved by god and they're chosen decisively by god and they've been saved eternally by god and, and they're being sanctified progressively by the holy spirit as we believe the truth and and we're called by the lord through gospel preaching and it's so that we would share in the glory of Christ. We saw that last week, sharing in the glory of Christ. All by God's grace. It all comes by the grace of God in Christ. And these are truths to shape our identity. This is, this is what, what shapes your identity as a believer. That, that even if you get confused, you have this immovable anchor that holds you secure, that keeps you firm and steadfast, secures you. Today, this is very interesting, actually. When we look at verse 15, it goes right from that to this beautiful gospel truth to this plea, a personal plea to hold on to the promises of God. It's this plea to stand firm and hold on to the truth. And what Paul is saying is, look, look at what you have in Christ. Now, you need to continue steadfast in the truth that you received because some are going to depart from the faith. And he says, look, you stand firm and hold on. So believing friends today, all believers who hear these words, you stand firm and you hold on by keeping Christ central and the word your compass. And this is the plea that Paul is giving. Personally hold on to the promises of God. Stand firm. Hold on to the word of God. Some of you are like, oh, I'm holding on tight. Don't worry about it. I'm good. Look at verse 15. It starts so then. It starts so then. He's drawing a conclusion from what he said. And so then, brothers, so then, brothers and sisters, so then, brethren, since God has included you in his great sovereign redeeming purposes, since God has providentially orchestrated all of this, since his purposes cannot be defeated by Satan or the man of lawlessness, you stand firm and don't be frightened by the opposition that will come your way or be worried about the troubles that will come your way. And the way not to drift is to stand firm, stand fast, and hold to, hold on to, hold fast to the word of God. But I think if we could just pause for a moment and let the startling logic sink in, we wouldn't have come up with this answer. We, we just wouldn't have come up with this answer. 
It's very unexpected here. We, we would have drawn a different conclusion. We would have said, head for the hills, look what's happening, look what's coming. Or we would say, so here's what you have in Christ. Now sit back, relax, and just watch God do it all. That's not what the Holy Spirit has Paul say. Paul pretty much says the opposite of what we would think. He's saying, don't relax. Based on all this beautiful gospel truth, don't relax. Brace yourself. Don't lie down and fall asleep. Be awake. Stand firm. It's a bit unexpected. Insurance of God's steadfast purposes in Christ for his people doesn't justify laziness. It's the basis upon which we are urged to confidently press on in the faith. Here is the perseverance of the saints. I want you to notice the double exhortation. Stand firm and hold on to. Stand firm, get your feet set, and then hold on. Because trouble is present and more trouble is coming. Stand firm in this world and hold on. He is, he is, he is appealing to the truth of the gospel. And he's saying, look, this is your safeguard against being stampeded by the kind of difficulties that you're facing. Beloved, if you're a Christian today, God chose you to be saved. God called you by gospel preaching. You're being sanctified by the Spirit of God as you believe the truth. Therefore, stand firm and don't sit back and relax. Don't fall asleep. Stay awake. Stand firm. God's purpose is stable, but that doesn't mean you can be lazy. You must be stable. You must hold on. Loved ones, picture a ocean storm. Picture boaters in danger of being swept away, and they're holding on to ropes, and picture the ropes being pulled from their grasp. This is the picture that you need to set your feet firmly and cling to something secure and hold on for dear life. These are present imperatives. It's keep standing firm. Keep holding on. Let the storm keep ripping and tearing and raging you keep standing firm and holding on. You keep holding on because God will hold on to you. He is holding on to you. He chose you. He saved you. He is sanctifying you. The psalmist, Psalm 55, verse 22, put it this way. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will not allow the righteous to be shaken. What did Paul tell the Thessalonians? Do not be quickly shaken. And by the way, God perfectly specifies exactly what they're to hold on to. It says in this verse that they are to, to stand firm and hold on to the traditions. Now some of you are like, oh, tradition, you know. 
I get to do all the things I want to do that I made up in my own mind or the traditions that were passed on to me by my forefathers and by my former church and by all the things I've thought up. This is awesome. That is wrong. The traditions. Some of you are like, yeah, I knew we'd get to this part of the Bible where I get to, you know, impose my will upon the people. The traditions. What does that mean? It can be translated the teachings. It's good that it's translated the traditions. It's the traditions, the teachings. What does that mean? It it has the idea behind it. The prominent idea is of authority external to the preacher. Authority outside the teacher. It is pointing to God's authority. The traditions that you received. That's talking about the authority of God. It's talking about the gospel which is not of human origin. In 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 2, in verse 13, Paul says, We, he and his companions, also thank God constantly for this, That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. The traditions that he's speaking of, the teachings, are said to have come by word of mouth and by our our letter. What this is telling us is that whatever form God's word was originally delivered in, it was authoritative. They would speak the word of God out as the Spirit inspired his word. They would write the word of God out as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Whatever form God's word was originally delivered in, it was authoritative, it was once for all given. The only effective means by which to battle error is to stand firm and hold unswervingly to the truth of the word of God and that for a believer takes tenacity, it takes courage, it it takes a, a righteous resolve against the winds and the waves of false teaching. What it means for for you and I today is that if you're a believer, you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. Traditions refers to the body of truth handed down at Paul's teaching and other apostolic teaching. The truth received that was faithfully passed on that Paul received from God and, and, and then he passed it on, whether by word of mouth while he was with them or by a letter when he was not. There's many Christians that live their Christian life with secondhand biblical fumes. There are some Christians that have never 
read every word in, in, in this book. Some of you are like, am I supposed to do that? This is not to check off the I read the Bible through once box. It's because for a Christian, your life is wrapped up in this book. And you should devour it. You should eat it. You should live it. You should breathe it. You should practice it. You should do it. But you have to know it first. And that you need to open up your Bible and and read it. Every word. And then keep reading it, every word. Some of you are like, what? I've got to do that? Think about how many podcasts you've listened to recently. Think about how many books you've read. You can listen to this. You can read it. You can, I have friends that are writing it out, literally copying it out into notebooks as they look at it in a, in a Bible. But you can do a lot with this and that you can, you, can, you can memorize it. You can think about it in your mind. And, and you could... You could take one verse and not exhaust that one verse for the rest of your life, but you do have at your disposal all 66 books. You need to know what you believe and why you believe it and how you learn is you open up your Bible and you read the beautiful Word of God. And when you come to something you don't understand, you, you ask the Lord to give you understanding. You ask fellow believers to help you. What this is not is the later traditions of the church. The traditions, hold to the traditions, not the later traditions of the church. It is the original teachings, or as, as it put here, the traditions of the apostles. And we need to make sure we, we make the distinction between the, the two kinds of tradition that is being spoken of here. The apostolic traditions, that's the foundation of the Christian faith and life, which such things as the virgin birth and the substitutionary atonement and the crucifixion of Christ and, and the, the bodily resurrection of Christ and the present reign of Christ the ascension of Christ and his reign and his return. It's, a, it's the authority of Scripture. Now, later church traditions are, are a structure the church built. Every church has them. And we are being told here, you hold fast, believers, to that which the apostles received from God that were taught to the early church by word or by letter and now preserved in the New Testament. That's what he's pointing to. Stand firm and hold to the traditions. It means, in our case, for us to be biblical Christians, to be uncompromisingly loyal to to Christ's teachings and of his apostles, and that's how you remain steadfast. It's the only way to resist false teaching. It's by clinging to the true word of God. It's interesting, Psalm 78 is a, it's a beautiful psalm. At, at, at the beginning, it speaks of passing on the word of God from generation to generation to generation. It's beautiful. For seven verses, we, we hear this. 
And then you get to verse 8 of Psalm 78, and, and the rest of the psalm, and it's very long, by the way, you should read it later, is about how the people of God, their spirits were not faithful to the Lord, to Yahweh. That their heart was not steadfast toward him, and, and Psalm 78, verse 37 says, their heart was not steadfast toward him, nor were they faithful to his covenant. The heart was not steadfast, and they didn't, they didn't listen to the word. They, they, they both go hand in hand. In, in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 3.14, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. In Colossians, in chapter 1, right after we're, we're told of the preeminence of Christ, the beauty and the, and the, and the greatness of, of Christ over all, we read this in verse 21, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Hold on to the word of God. He goes on in Colossians chapter 2 and says, I am rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Back to verse 15 here, it says that they were taught these things, that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. It's, it's what's passed on. It wasn't a bad word. It was a good word. It wasn't a negative word. It was the most positive word. It was the word of God, the di divinely inspired scriptures that we have because God has preserved his word. The traditions. That's the body of truth handed down. He's, he's speaking of nothing outside the Bible. You don't add to it. There's nothing outside the Bible. It's everything that happened before the canon or the collection of Scripture was set. What, what he's telling them is you have this deep, deep reservoir of truth that, that you get to drink from. Believer, today you have a deep reservoir of truth from which to drink, to counteract the lies of the world and the flesh and the devil. Paul was only at Thessalonica for a short time, but he taught a lot. He did a lot of teaching of the word of God, and they had his first letter. The church has the eternal, sufficient, authoritative, objective standard of truth by which to judge the legitimacy of any doctrine or any teaching. We have the word of God. Now, interestingly, he had to tell them, don't be shaken, because they wouldn't have been shaken. They wouldn't have been pushed off point or moved from their foundation by false teachers had they held on. He's telling them, you hold on, and it seems to be that as time went on, they recovered by the grace of God. What we need to do today is heed the plea. 
Heed the plea, the admonishing plea to cling tightly to what has been handed down by the apostles and the prophets. The word of God has been preserved by God. There's so many people that they're looking for something new to jumpstart their spirituality. There are so many people that are saying, you know, we need to jumpstart our church. Let's come up with a new fad or a new idea to, to get to kind of rev things up a bit. No. No, go back to, to, the, to the law and the testimony, to, to the word of God, to, to the, the word of God that, that while the grass withers and the flower falls off, the word of God stands forever. The answer is the old ways, the more sure word. Jude put it this way, contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered. Peter says, pay attention to the word. David says, there's great promise for the one who obeys the word. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I command. Anyone who preaches and teaches must take this seriously, the call to preach the word and pass on what they've received in the word. Unless a church is grounded in the truth of the word of God, it will be vulnerable to false teaching. We send missionaries out to the ends of the earth. Countries are sending missionaries to us. We're the ends of the earth to some people. And, and you know what people find anywhere on earth that they, they, they land? They find out that, that there are people giving falsehoods about Jesus and claiming to say it's from the Bible. There's false teaching all over the place. There's every wind and wave of doctrine. We should be looking for authorial intent. We should be looking for what does the plain, bare word of God say? We should be looking for what does God mean when he says this? We should be thinking about it. We should be going back to the word because only the word of God has the power by, as the spirit does the work to renew your mind, to restore your soul, to comfort you in a way that nothing else can. Don't seek any other way to grow a church or grow your life, but through a, a prayerful, dependent handling of the word of God in the context of Christian community with a fellowship of believers that are seeking the will of God. This is what this verse is, is telling us. Like The church must unwaverly hold to sound doctrine. Stand firm, hold to the truth. Stand firm, hold fast. It's like Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians 2, holding fast the word of life. Hold on to it. They're, they're being exhorted. We're being exhorted to an appropriate response to the truth that's been laid down of this beautiful gospel truth that you've been chosen by God and you're beloved of God and he saved you and he's sanctifying you as you believe the truth. And so he's telling the people and he's telling us, don't be agitated at all the problems of life. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Take a firm stance. Instead of being deceived by false teaching, be strengthened by the truth. Have a faithful adherence to the truth. 
in light of being included in God's sovereign, saving purposes, what Paul is saying is you remain unmovable and cling tenaciously to these truths and, and this is a call to doctrinal adherence. This is a call. He says to the Corinthians, my dear brothers and sisters, and I love the way he addresses the church. He loves the church. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Stand firm. Literally, it means be steadfast. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He tells them, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. He tells the Philippians in Philippians 4, 1, my brothers and sisters, they're in the family of God together, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. He's saying, don't buy the lies. Don't think it's loving to just go along with the crowd or capitulate. Don't believe the lie that we can be in control of everything. And if you have questions about the truth, let's talk. But if you're playing with fire, repent of prideful self-will. If you're worried you may fall, hang on to the anchor of the word of God and your hope in Christ and fellow believers who will help hold you up. And if you, if you say, well, I'm doing well, please don't get proud. You'll be vulnerable to deception. This is speaking of, as he says, we spoke it to you and we wrote it to you. He's speaking of the public and private ministry of the word of God. The, as the world puts it, the foolishness of preaching and biblical counseling and why do we do it? Because the word of God does the work. The spirit of God uses the word of God in the lives of the people of God for God's glory. So we are being called to continue to go to the word daily and pray dependently and, and interact with, with people in the church and outside the church lovingly and, and rehearse the gospel truth in your heart continually, knowing that Jesus holds you as a believer. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 30, verse 15, records what God says, thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. Trust in God, re repentance towards God, believe in Christ as we are clearly, clearly told in the gospel. He says, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. And then the next words, but you were not willing you were not willing. You were unwilling. What Paul is saying here is that continuing stability, a firm grasp on the truth, will help you to remain steadfast, will alleviate instability, will take away the alarm that 
prompted him writing the second letter, telling the church, you need some information, and it's doctrinal. He calls it our gospel, the personal touch. He's telling them, remain unmovable, and you cling tenaciously to these doctrines. God chose you. You are beloved. He saved you. He is sanctifying you. You love the truth. You believe the truth. You're going to share in Christ's glory. You share in Christ's glory now, and you will for eternity fully. You think about the things you hold dear in your heart. Some people hear traditions, and you think, oh, good. Every little weird idea I had in my head, I get to push on everybody else now. Oh, wow, all those things I think must be true. And all I can tell you is our theological convictions must not be a figment of our imagination. It must be rooted and grounded in the truth of the word of God. They must not be fabricated out of the confusing web of the conflicting times in which we live. Base it on bedrock biblical truth. Stand firm, hold on to truth. What does that mean for you today? It means you keep following Jesus. You take the bare word of God and you live that in community with other believers. That's what this verse tells us. The church is unwaveringly holding to solid doctrine and you notice it says that the church is boldly teaching it, that you were taught. You know, when you, when you look at, second, uh, at the second chapter of Philippians where it says holding fast the word of life, it can be translated holding forth the word of life. It's like holding a lantern and saying, I, I've got light for myself and I'm holding it out for others to see too. God's word is a light to our path. It, it leads the way. It, it guides the way. We're to hold forth the word of life. That's what Paul did. You were taught this. You were taught it. What do you say to the Corinthians? I praise you for remembering me and everything and for holding to the traditions, the word, just as I passed it on to you. This is their responsibility based on the electing purposes of God. This is your responsibility if you're a Christian based on the, the choosing purposes of God. This, again, contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people against the, the backdrop. And you go, well, but we have worldwide crises going on. So did they, in fact, against the backdrop of worldwide crisis that, that is to come. And is present and is to come. In the first 10 verses of this chapter, what Paul is saying is the objects of God's saving grace cannot afford to fall into lethargy and just sit back and watch God do it all, kind of Jonah-like, and watch him you know, zap everybody. But no, you remain steadfast, and you take a firm grasp of the truth, and you take it wherever you go. Do you know that um, if I visit you in a hospital, you expect that I show up Bible in hand? If I go meet with you, you expect me to bring a Bible. When I come up to this pulpit, you're expecting me to bring my Bible and not just have it here as a, as a decoration. Christians need to bring their Bibles to life. You can Bring it electronically or with paper and leather, whatever, whatever you've got. 
bring it in your mind as you've memorized it, as you've meditated on it, as you think it through, and as it rolls off your tongue because you, you, you've thought about it so much. Church is to unwaveringly hold solid doctrine and teach it. But the other thing this passage, this, this one verse tells us is this. The church does this together. Go back to the very beginning of the verse. So then, brothers. Brethren, brothers and sisters. The context here is Christian fellowship. Brethren, we need each other. We need each other. This is going to be hard for those on the live stream, but seriously, right now, if you're in this room, look around. Look at the people in this room. Make some eye contact with somebody that isn't, you know, don't make it awkward. Just for a moment. No, I want you to look around. I mean, some people go to church with blinders on. They go to church instead of going to be with the family of God. Look around. Do it again. You didn't do it well that, that first time. Enough. Sorry. It's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? But you're looking around. And, and let me tell you, believer, fellow believers, this is your family in Christ. You need each other. By the way, this is an appeal. This verse is an appeal for the church to remain steadfast. And the context in which they were to hold, stand firm and hold to the teachings was Christian fellowship and the family of God, the bride of Christ, the building of God, the body of Christ. And we need each other. Here's how John Stott put it. Here's what he said about the church. Let me give you a little quote here. The fellowship of faith, that's the church, the society for sacred study, the hermeneutical community. We need, he said, the checks and balances of the church to help restrain our rampant individualism and establish us in the truth. He said it is the Bible in the church that can develop our Christian stability and so strengthen us to withstand the pressures of persecution, false teaching, and temptation. What does that mean for you and I today? That means that the church must contain for you a group of friends. And by that I mean godly, helpful people, not dividers, not backbiters, not bickerers. I mean a group of friends that are godly and helpful. And I hope that when your eyes span the room, you spotted some. And it's a group of friends that the church must contain for you where you're free to share anything in your heart or your life without the fear of condemnation. Without like weird looks, like, what? Without that. Where people listen to you and you listen to people and you learn from each other in a safe place to process, where you're open and welcoming the word of God to do the work in your heart and you're trusting the spirit of God together to do a work in your heart. In fact, if you are looking for people to process things with as you struggle in your fight against sin, you should find many allies here. As you're looking for fellow believers that will help you process things in your fight against sin, because we are all in a fight against sin. The church must be the group of people that you have in your life that help you grasp what the Bible says 
about everything and how you should respond. But I must say, if you are looking for people to accept your sinful lifestyle or give you permission for one, you're going to be sorely disappointed and you'll probably walk away disillusioned because you didn't get what you wanted. You may accuse people of telling you that you were wrong when they were actually lovingly and firmly pointing you to what is right. And I would just say, if, you're, if you somehow find yourself in that place, for you, the, the door is always open. The, the invite is always open for honest, open conversation. Uh, the door is open, but you sh- nobody should expect to be condoned or celebrated or congratulated for sinning. What you should expect is people will point you to Jesus, who is all-glorious. And if you don't want Jesus, therein lies your problem. Well, you need to see that Jesus is better and more glorious than anything that you want in life, that nothing compares to Jesus. He is the radiance and glory of God, that he is our very life and that he is love and you need to see that his people love you and that doesn't mean that his people will love you perfectly i think a lot of times what we need to do in the in the, in the church is to remind ourselves i know they love me they might not be perfect at showing it but they show up and they care i know they love me you're caring and loving for people who are struggling in their battle against sin and maybe they seem to be losing the battle and maybe they seem to not be wanting what God would would want for them or they're struggling with their identity or wanting you to condone something please please be humble and kind don't stand at a distance and throw grenades Just show them and tell them, I care for you. And since I care for you, there's some some truth that I, I need you to hear. And the other thing is, if if you find yourself in a place where you you start helping someone be more sinful, you're wrapping a millstone around their neck and yours. You don't want to be the wolf in the chicken coop. What, what Paul told the Romans is, I urge you, brothers and sisters, my family, watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way, contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. He had told the Thessalonians, do not become unsettled or alarmed. He told the Romans, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. That through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Hope that does not disappoint. If you're sitting there today and you're thinking to yourself, am I a healthy Christian or not? I think one proof would be this. When you read 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And you read the first 12 verses. And if your heart sinks, because you think, I don't want anyone to go through that or to be in that kind of situation, I want to preach the gospel to them. And then when you read verses 13 to 17 and your heart just soars because you're like, wow, look what God has done. That's a little bit of proof that you're on the right track. You're fearfully and wonderfully made by God. You're graciously and sovereignly saved by God. What does that mean? What does that mean for us today? How, How would you live your life as you go out of this place and I... I'm going to quickly say that if you want to stand firm and hold on, here's what it will look like. Ongoing, ordinary faithfulness. Showing up. Rejoice in God's sovereign goodness. Don't, don't question his goodness. Praise him for saving you. If you don't know for sure if you're saved, make sure. Receive the love of the truth. Jesus died in my place. I'm a lost sinner apart from him. He rose from the dead. Uh, he's the eternal king and lord over all i I want jesus in my life i want to be forgiven i want to be saved you need to discern truth from error cling to the truth reject error as the writer of hebrews put it your senses trained to discern good and evil elizabeth elliott said when obedience to god contradicts what i think will give me pleasure let me ask myself if I love him. You need to avoid ungodly judgment. Just because you read your Bible earnestly even doesn't mean it gets into all the nooks and crannies of your heart and life such that your attitudes and actions change. Someone recently said, too much of today's discourse leads to an all or nothing approach, which anyone can be put in the good category or the bad category. And it's a reductionist approach that impoverishes us. This person said, in a world dominated by social media flamethrowing, it's easy to tear down the good work of others. Only God can bring heart change in your life and in others. Your heart needs to be soft and pliable. That's how you stand firm and hold on be open to Christ, to be open to correction from the word, to be open to correction from fellow Christians, all the while knowing that some Christians are unloving and obscuring the truth. Some Christians let the truth go thinking they're being loving. And I think I would put it this way to you today. If it feels like you're walking a tightrope all the time, balancing truth and love, you're probably in a good spot. Though you probably wonder because the others don't wonder. Elizabeth Elliot also said this, to aim at loving instead of being loved requires sacrifice. Love reaches out, is willing to be turned down or inconvenienced, expects no personal reward and wants only to give. And let me remind you of one more thing. The word of God is our only objective compass. You and I need an objective reference point outside of our mind and the world. We need the North Star of of the Bible to guide us. Um, What if, by the way, you you left the parking lot today or you attempted to and you said, I'm going to get in my car 
And I'm going to look on the end of my hood. I'm going to focus on the end of my hood. Maybe the old cars had the little hood, hood ornament. ornament. Uh, you just go look at the end of your car, and I, you can say, I'm going to go everywhere the end of my car goes. Wherever the front of my car goes, I'll go. You know what that means? Crash. Just remember this. In your desire to reach others, in your desire to stand firm, God's standards don't change. It's baseball season, right? Do you know how wide the plate home plate is in like high school ball? Anyone know? 17, I, I know this, 17 inches. You know, how, you know how wide it is in college ball? 17 inches. You know how wide it is in, in the major leagues? 17 inches. And you know if you're a big league pitcher and you can't uh, throw a strike over 17 inches, you know what happens to you? You get sent down to the minors. Here's, what's, here's what doesn't happen. Oh, you, you can't hit the 17-inch target? It's okay. You're special. We'll make it 18 or 19. Oh, you're extra special. We'll make it 21. We'll give you a better chance of hitting it. Oh, if you can't hit it, let us know. We'll change it for you. No, they're not whiting home plate. And God's not changing his word. Don't change, don't change the standard. It's our only objective standard. Just praise God for his providence. You're transformed in Christ. You have a deep well of riches, a reservoir to drink from and heed this plea to personally hold on to God's promises. Lord, we thank you that you are the one that faithfully holds us and you hold the one faithfully engaged in holding on to you. And even when we feel like we have no strength, you hold on to us. You give us eternal comfort and good hope by grace. We praise you, Lord, that it does not depend on us. And I pray, Lord, that you would grant us to stand firm and hold on to the truth and have Christ central in our hearts and the word is our compass. All for your glory, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand if you're able and join as we close?
God has been so kind to us and grant us this time to sing his praises and pray and hear the word of God. Uh, Take some time to linger out on the plaza with one another and spend some time with others, maybe introduce yourself to someone new. Um, There's a lot going on right now and make sure you get your rest because summertime isn't always as restful as we would hope. So praise God for the many opportunities we have though uh, to fellowship together and to make a difference in the world. We'll close now with uh, Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. And now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor.